Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. And welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and of course, we're on your smart speaker as well. Coming up, dozens of MPs signed a motion of no confidence in the Speaker of the House, Lindsay Hoyle, after his decision to grant a vote on Labour's Gaza ceasefire amendment descended into chaos. Five Home Office contractors have been suspended after the word Israel was crossed out on a baby girl's birth certificate, and a teenager is taken to fishing in potholes to try and bait his local council into fixing their cruddy roads. Good evening, Britain, and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Well, it's been quite the week for revelations, hasn't it? Tonight we'll be taking stock of just exactly where we are as a country. It seems that MPs are more frightened of being attacked than of losing their seats. It seems the failure of the police to control extremism has changed our country forever. And it also seems that our parliament has proven itself to care more about the people of Gaza than the people of Britain. How on earth did we get here under 14 years of Tory rule? This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're taking names and demanding answers. Now, 24 hours on from the live feed into the Big Brother house, oh, sorry, I mean the House of Commons, the place supposedly meant for determining the progress and policy for Britain, but the scenes in the last day or so have shown privileged politicians embarrassing the country and choosing to focus on themselves instead of the nation. And now this latest chapter sees the Speaker facing calls to resign as the signatures for a no-confidence vote seem to gather some momentum. But the big question is... Can he survive? The Telegraph's Madeleine Grant is here with me in the studio, alongside Talk TV's political correspondent, Alicia Fitzgerald. Alicia and uh, Mads, welcome to the show. Um, can we talk about what actually is where we are now? Because I'm not entirely sure. It, I, I'm hearing that the, the, the momentum for getting rid of Lindsay Hoyle is kind of dying down a bit, so he's going to survive the weekend, presumably. Presumably, yes. So, obviously, we had this early day motion tabled yesterday by William Bragg. He's a Conservative MP. And he basically tabled this motion to say that he no longer has confidence in the Speaker in his role. Mm. Uh, henceforth, lots of MPs joining and signing that motion, mainly SNP and Conservatives there. Um, clearly not Labour, mm. because what happened yesterday massively benefited right. them. Um, so, <laughs> mainly Conservatives and SNP MPs there. It's hit, like, late 60s, I think, is the number yeah. of signatures on that now. So, a lot of MPs, to 
be signing this. The interesting thing, though, is with the, the practical terms of an early day motion mean that there isn't a threshold for an amount of signatures mm -hmm. for this to reach, for it to actually translate into something right. official. It's not like putting in letters of no confidence right. to Graham Brady, the 1922 committee man. Different to that committee man. That was a really awful way to refer to <laughs> Well, you know, he's a committee man. He's, he's a, got committee a committee man. He is a committee man. I mean, man. that's he's okay. Chair, which yeah. is the modern Chair's modern, awful. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a committee man. I think he's that's a committee better. man. But the thing is, I read, I read your, your uh, piece last night um, on, on the whole sh shenanigans of, of the nonsense that went on. Um, and it seems to me that they can't actually get rid of anybody, can they? Because he has to kind of either resign himself or basically die in order to lose the job. So unless he really wants to go, he's not going to, is he? No, I don't, I, I don't think so. And actually... Today was quite interesting mm. because it was essentially like more of the same, a post-mortem yes. almost in the Commons. Right. Penny Morden had a really angry, um, vituperative kind of um, session with Labour where she was really having it out with Lucy right. Powell and, 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 and not taking um, any rebuttals for, on that point. But a number of, the thing that struck me was that there were a number of Tory MPs who, who sprung up to defend yeah. Sir Lindsay, basically saying, you know, he's... He, he, up until now, he had a good reputation for being a fairly impartial mm. figure, certainly compared to his predecessor, John Burko. He was generally well-liked. And also, his he had immediately apologised and been very contrite about what happened. Right. Um, and so it seems like, you know, that there is there is some momentum, but perhaps not enough. Mm. Um, you know, there, there was a very a large number of, of Tory MPs who either like Lindsay Hall or also wonder that, you know, what, who might replace yeah, him. Well, exactly. You know, there's one of the um, possible candidates for replacing him would be Sir Chris Bryant, who oh, perhaps God, would really? be, yes. Um, he'd be in the running. Um, that wouldn't be good. Yeah. Or, or I mean, he would not, he'd be finding it impossible to be impartial, wouldn't he? <laughs> I think he literally he, would find it very difficult. I think we'd be uh, would be game over for right. civilization. But the other that, thing that, that I find interesting is is what actually happened the previous day. And when Keir Starmer went to speak to Lindsay Hall, what was actually said? Because let's not forget, last night they were saying, oh, Labour was saying, oh, we didn't talk to Lindsay Hall, nothing to do with us. We didn't try and persuade him, we didn't try and threaten him, none of that. Now Keir Starmer admits that he went to see him, but he didn't threaten him. But some other Labour MPs might have. And Lindsay Hall himself says that he was worried about the welfare of individual Labour MPs. So who's telling the truth? Yeah, it's really interesting because yesterday the claim, the big rumour was that Keir Starmer had threatened Sir right. Lindsay Hoyle and basically said, you know, if you don't do this favour for me, mm. we'll challenge your seat or we'll show yeah. that we don't have confidence in you uh, as right. the Speaker of the House. So that's a really big claim to make. Labour on the record ever since that claim was made have totally said that that didn't happen. Mm. They said it's rubbish, not true. And today Keir Starmer said, again, that he categorically did not threaten Lindsay Hoyle, but what he did admit to doing was urging the Speaker to have a really broad debate. And you can take from that what you will. I right. mean, obviously, he's saying, we want you to have a broad debate, whether that does imply that he was suggesting the Speaker should add on the Labour amendment, which is what happened. That um, is kind of up to you to decide, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, absolutely. It's a shame we can't get at the truth from all of these people who supposedly make the laws in this country. Mm. But let's bring in now Conservative peer Lord Daniel Finkelstein for his words of wisdom. Daniel, welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Um, extraordinary scenes, I think, this week for, for all of us who have been watching this uh, Parliament for quite some time, several decades, in fact. Um, haven't seen anything like it for a very, very long time. You know, why did it suddenly spin out of control? And do you think that, that Lindsay Hoyle can continue in his uh, job? Look, at the bottom of this is something more serious than Lindsay Hoyle. And that is 
is the parliament of this country being threatened by protesters and changing its stance on debate mm. as a result of those threats? This is a very serious allegation. I'm much more interested in that than I am in Lindsay Hall's individual position. Mm. I'm much more interested in that than what the House of Commons ends up pointlessly saying about Gaza. So there are some people who say, you know, they've been distracted from the real issue into this side issue. I think we've accidentally hit on the real issue. Are we really saying that members of British Parliament cannot conduct their business <clears throat> in the way that they would wish because they're worried about being uh, in about protesters mm. uh, in their offices and in their constituencies? Because if we are, then this is a matter that is extremely serious. It threatens the basis of political democracy in this country. So I, I couldn't be more exercised about it, I think. Well, it doesn't help, does it, when the police are outside uh, watching a projection of a statement saying from the river to the sea onto Big Ben, onto the Palace of Westminster. They've issued a statement tonight saying that um, in certain contexts, it's not a criminal offence, i.e. when it's part of a public protest. They're basically giving a green light to these characters to turn up every time there's a debate that they don't like. But the police have got to make a judgment as to what they think a court will find. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think this statement, it does clearly indicate that uh, they, uh, these people want to remove, expel all the Jews that live in Israel, which is half the Jewish population yeah. in the world, by the way. And I, and I, and I do think that having constant, uh, very large demonstrations with these sorts of slogans is quite intimidating. I know lots of people in the Jewish community feel that. Um, and you've got to get the line right, haven't you, between allowing people to have to yeah. say things which I may regard as awful and um, trying to ensure they don't say intimidating things. It's clear that they are saying things that now the House, the Speaker of the House of Commons says caused him to change his decision. We cannot leave it like that. Either Lindsay Hall does have to resign, he admits that he is not giving a faithful representation of his motives, or, as I think is probably true, he is giving a faithful representation of his motives. The Labour Party told, them, told him that they could not safely conduct political business unless... Uh, he allowed them to change the rules of the House of Commons. Mm. Well, that is extremely serious, and we can't just leave it there. We can't just not, you know, if now that this has been said, we need to have a proper inquiry into what went on. We uh, and, and I don't mean this for the purposes of finding whether Labour or the Tories or the SNP are to blame, which I'm not interested in in the slightest. What I'm interested in is whether these protesters are now putting Parliament in a position where our democracy doesn't function properly. Mm. And if that is the case, what are the police, the Home Office, uh, the legal system going to do to ensure the integrity of our democracy? That seems to me much more important and so there are some people who think this is all pompous Westminster fuss. You know, you use the phrase, which I, you know, I, I agree with a lot of your intro. I didn't agree with the phrase privileged politicians. You know, we haven't got any choice but to have uh, politicians run uh, the country unless we want it to be run by a dictatorship. Yes. Uh, but, um, you know, given... But well, I think they're still seen as privileged by most of the, most, most of the country, well, though, Daniel. They are. I, I, I you know, I, it's not my choice of rhetoric. I, I think that they're running down the way that politicians, um, we don't need to get diverted into that. We, we have a disagreement over that. But where I agree with you, where, where I agree with you um, very strongly is you hit the nail on the head at the beginning of the programme. The issue here is violent intimidation. You got that completely right. A lot of other commentators, I think, have been diverted into um, saying, you know, politicians are obsessed with themselves. Mm. This is all chaotic. No, this is about 
whether or not our democracy is safe from violent protest. And obviously, we have to discover whether that is actually a reasonable characterization of what happened. Mm. Did the Labour Party give the Speaker an incorrect impression that it was being intimidated when, in fact, it isn't being intimidated? Is that actually unfair to the protesters? I'm open to even that interpretation. But, you know, my suspicion is that their fears are genuine and um, that is extremely concerning. And you're right to say, what's it coming to? Yeah, absolutely. Lord Daniel Finkelstein, thank you very much indeed. We must talk again about this because it's not going to go away. Let's hear now from Conservative MP uh, Andrea Jenkins. Andrea, uh, welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Thanks for joining us. It's no doubt, is there, that lots and lots of different um, MPs have had threats of one kind or another. Uh, we had a couple of MPs standing up today talking about how um, they felt more at home and safer in Israel than they do actually working and living in London. So what is this all about? Is, is Lord Finkelstein right to say if it's about uh, democracy, if it's about cancelling debate because of violent threats, then we need to be very, very serious about making that change? I mean, I think it's both, actually, Mike. I mean, I've had eight death threats over the years and I have um, CCTV at my home and um, I've had people rip my gates down, my fences down and it just goes on and on and, and writing outside my office on the wall, why don't you just kill yourself, Andrea? I had somebody with a um, um, looking to kill me down the high street. So I, I've, had, I've had lots over the years and it just, I've only once wanted to quit over this. Mm. And then after about a month of mulling over it, I thought, you know, sod you, I'm not going to let you beat me. Right. Um, so I think it's a mixture. I mean, we wasn't party to the conversations. I'm very concerned that, you know, the likes of Sue Gray and Starmer were seen speaking to the speaker and also going in the whip's office. So what shenanigans was going on there? Mm. Um, clearly, they didn't want the SNP vote as it was. Um, but also, I think it makes Starmer look weak, Mike, because it's given in to the mob, isn't it? Mm. And we, we've seen the streets. It doesn't feel safe for British citizens, let alone MPs on the streets, yeah. does it? Um, it's mob rule at the moment, yeah. and we, we, we shouldn't be silenced by the mob. No, I think that's absolutely right. And, I mean, as you say, the difficulty as well in, in trying to work out what happened exactly is that we're not getting a straight bat, really, from the Labour Party. First, they denied that they'd spoken to Lindsay Hall at all last night. Now, yeah. today, they're saying that, we, well, we might have spoken to him, but we didn't threaten him in any way, shape or form. And certainly, mm -hmm. it's very clear that Starmer was worried that if there were... Uh, Labour MPs who voted with the SNP amendment, that he would have another crisis on his hands. But what's happened now means that whenever there's another uh, opposition day motion with the Labour Party putting it forward, presumably the SNP will now have to say, well, now you have to give us a go at an amendment as well, because that's what you did last time. It Exactly. Um, and it set this dangerous new precedent, really, which, which was wrong. I mean, I do like Lindsay Hoyle. And as yet, I haven't signed that form calling him to resign. He clearly made a mistake. He is actually one of the good eggs. Mm. But I'm more concerned that we could have a future prime minister in Starmer um, who go, um, allegedly going around bullying people and getting the speaker to allegedly break um, protocol. Mm. Um, but let's not also forget as well that we, they've got the Rochdale by-election coming up. I know they've they've sort of disowned the candidate, but they still clearly want to win because no doubt they'll give him the whip back if he wins anyway, won't they? Um, and so they we, we've seen that the, the Muslim vote is get, going away from Labour um, and where it has always sort of gone to Labour. So 
I think what um, Sama was doing was trying to shore that up to show that he's still supportive to the Muslim community. So I think it's got so many elements to mm. this on why this happened last night. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Andrew, thanks for that. Uh, Madeline, is it the case, do you think, that, that this is a kind of game-changer, that this is a watershed moment for British politics, that, that suddenly something that happens outside of the chamber um, is going to have a massive impact on, on things inside it, and not least what's happening on the streets of London, but what's happening on the streets of, of Gaza? I think you're right that a, a Rubicon has been crossed mm. here. You know, the idea that Islamist intimidation means that MPs and the Speaker breaking with constitutional protocol, um, avoiding certain topics, letting themselves be mm. cowed by the mob, yeah. that is a Rubicon. Um, but in a way, I think actually what Lord Finkelstein said earlier is very important, that it's good that we're talking about this now. Mm. It's really brought it into sharp focus. Um, previously, MPs have sometimes, I think, skirted around this particular issue. Um, following uh, the murder of David Amos, that yeah. debates in the Commons often focused on things like nasty tweets yeah. and the language that people use in public life and civility in politics and Twitter. And uh, Although that is very important, I think, um, the real problem is he was murdered by an Islamist. Yeah. And we need to, you know, we need to talk well, about this. Well, we need this. to just state the facts, don't yes. we, quite often, which I think yes. has been a problem in, in an awful lot of these and also, multicultural is it, situations. And also, is it going to be possible in the future for British MPs who, one of, I've, one of the things about our political system I've always rather liked is the fact that MPs are visible in their constituencies. Right. You know, every Friday they go back and they have meetings, often about what would seem to be not quite kind and of meet parochial. Members of the meeting members of the public. Yeah. Often about quite like parochial stuff, mm. you know, how to build the new footbridge or yeah. some planning dispute or whatever it, whatever it may be. But they're, they're out and about in their constituency and they're visible mm. and accessible. Yeah. Does that have to change now? Do we? Does it have to be more like a grand sort of American system mm. where all congressmen go around with lots of security yeah. detail and live a much more uh, lofty life away from the public. Well, you would hope not. Alicia, at one point last night when you were in, in the Commons down there talking to us, you said that there was a suggestion they might take the vote in sort of private, uh, behind closed doors, as it were, that they'd shut all the cameras down and people wouldn't see the debate. I mean, this is quite serious stuff, isn't it? It really is. I mean, obviously, in the end, that didn't happen, mm. I think, much to everyone's delight yeah. because it would have been a really, really rare situation. I mean, the times where that has happened before in the past, you can probably count on one mm. hand. And I think yesterday, given the amount of attention that this was getting publicly, there would have been a lot of outrage and anger if that had happened mm. because... We have to remember that MPs are public figures. Right. They, the taxpayer pays for them. They are public servants, effectively. So I think sometimes when topics like this, which lots of the public feel really strongly about, and it's, they are really emotive, if that were to become something that mm. was done behind closed doors, I think people would feel really betrayed by that yeah. and just think that we do have a right to know what's happening in the House of Commons. They are an elective chamber of people who we choose to, yeah. to represent yeah. us. Exactly yeah. right. Well, it's interesting how um, I've noticed you know, my job as a sketch writer, I've noticed that increasingly attention is being given to um, often foreign, foreign policy disputes that Britain can have no, no impact on whatsoever mm. with what we do. Right. So obviously um, Gaza is, is the latest example, but there's been various debates about, for example, the situation in Kashmir, mm. which have in practice turned into battles between MPs who pick a stance based on whether they have a high number of Muslims yeah. or Hindus in their right. constituency. I mean, I have noticed recently politics is becoming more sectarian. Mm. And, you know, if demographic trends continue, we, we, we should expect this to get much more 
sectarian yeah. as, as time passes. And that can't be a good thing at all. Yeah. Um, Andrew Jenkins, thank you very much indeed for joining us. We're out of time, unfortunately. I was going to ask you whether you thought um, that Lindsay Hall should go. Um, but obviously there isn't time. We'll find out over the course of the next week. Madeline Grant, thank you very much, Will. Alicia as well. Uh, lots more to do. We're watching, uh, not we, you're watching the blazing independent Republican Mike Graham. Coming up after the break, five Home Office contractors are suspended after the word Israel is scrubbed off a birth certificate and Jewish groups call on the Met to look into this anti-Israel slogan being projected onto Big Ben. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. As if chaos in the Commons wasn't enough, the Home Office follows suit in furthering our national embarrassment. We told you a few days ago about the Jewish baby's birth certificate with the word Israel scribbled out. Well, after an urgent review by the Home Office, staff have been suspended at the Home Office. Let's bring in tonight's panel. Journalist Eve Torfik is here, barrister and broadcaster Andrew Eborn, and Talk TV's contributor Esther Kreku. Very good evening to all of you. Um, this is a terrible story. It's just another example of the kind of anti-Semitism that we've been seeing. I was talking um, earlier on in the show about the projection of from the river to the sea on uh, the government building, effectively. Yes. It's the, you know, the Palace of Westminster. The police have now said, apparently, oh, that's fine. Uh, it's in the context of a public protest. That's all right. The Home Office have obviously found the culprits here and suspended some people. Um, I find it amazing, really, and I said this the other day, that anyone who works in a civil service department thinks that's OK, that's something that they could do, and they wouldn't get any problem from no, it. it's quite extraordinary, as you say. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's a bizarre situation. You say they, they know they found the culprits. I'm not sure they have. I think what they've done, it seems to have been an independent group where they're looking at the whole group and right. they say that the relevant, it might have been one of you yeah. within this group who scribbled this out. Right. You need to look at that whole sort of Well, they've stuff. suspended them, though, which they, I they suspended, would so suggest that they think somebody's inquiries. done something. Yeah. And, and the passport itself, if you remember, there were two things happened. It went in pristine. Mm. Uh, it was ripped when it came back. Yeah. And also, the, the guy's name was Israel. Yes. He came from Israel. They had one of the Israels scribbled out, mm. but not the other, and so on and so yeah. forth. But that's what they need to look at. It's, it's abhorrent, absolutely yeah. abhorrent in the current climate. It is. And also, we've got uh, the, the counter-terrorism strategy author, William Shawcross, talking at the moment, uh, saying that basically the Home Office ignored key recommendations in the report that he put out. And, and in terms of counter-terrorism, the public are now left at risk. Yeah. And there's all these kind of holes in what the Home Office is doing and the, the policing of all of this stuff. Yeah, they've got to act a lot quicker. And there are rules and protections. We often say this. There are laws in place mm. that just need to be enforced. If you enforce them rigorously, then we can make sure that people are protected. Yeah. And we were just talking to Lord Daniel Finkelstein there, um, uh, Esther, and he was saying that, you know, we need to find out whether, in fact, the reason for whatever it was that Lindsay Hall did was about trying to appease a mob we yeah. need to find out if that's what happened. Because if that is what happened, then surely these marches have to stop. The mob has to stop. Yeah. Everything has to change. Well, I mean, I think I think Labour in particular didn't realise how much of a political minefield they were walking into this issue. And I think it's addressed the, the broader point of actually values, mm. right? We, we, we live in a, in a pluralistic society where people have different views. But the, what underpins the society is British values, British values of tolerance and respectfulness and, and, and a duty and service to this country. I think the fact that we've got to the point where people you have people in the home office that feel comfortable enough mm. to, to cross out someone's yeah. name because Israel is on it or chanting anti-Semitic or, or talking about sort of anti-Jewish conspiracy theories in the Labour Party, for example, actually shows just how far we've gone. This is much bigger than just th this, this uh, you know, 
what's going on in the Middle East, in, inciting all this kind of this rhetoric and all of that. It's actually bigger. The bigger issue is what are the values of the people that we're living with, mm. right? And that's 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 far more than just you know obviously stopping the projection of from the river to the sea on on the commons or whatever. It's 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 more existential. It's more fundamental to yeah. this country, and we're not talking about it. They can stop these people all they want. They can stop the 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 protests or whatever. But actually, the broader point is who are we as a nation? What do we stand for? Yeah. What are our values? How do we have civil discourse when we disagree with each other without turning into hate-filled mobs. Yeah. And that's what we're not willing to discuss. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I put it to, 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 to everybody at the start of the show that, you know, what happened yesterday in the House of Commons oh, suggests to yeah. me that they'd rather talk about Gaza than they would talk about the state of the NHS or the state of the roads or the state of, you know, education in this country. That You know, there's a lot of problems in Britain that they need to fix before they start worrying about what's happening in Gaza, no? Well, I totally agree. I think Gaza is obviously extremely relevant mm. on the world stage and with world politics. You know, it does affect us. The stuff in the Red Sea affects us as well, trade-wise. But I completely agree. You know, we do need to focus on the issues at home. We do need to focus on education, NHS, healthcare, dentistry. Mm. These are things that have been completely neglected. And I think, you know, focusing on war and stuff happening abroad is a great way to distract the British public mm. from what they're actually living in. And at the moment, we're living in a country that doesn't feel very profitable. It doesn't feel like the, the effort that we put into our lifestyle and our career is really... You know, we're not really reaping what we sow. No, and, and, it doesn't feel very safe. It, no? It's very expensive. Yeah. You know, people are paying more tax than they've ever paid. They can't yeah. get things that they want to get. You can't get things fixed because they're all broken. But let's have a look at uh, one MP, Andrew Percy, um, who got up in the House of Commons today and actually talked about the threats to his family and to his lifestyle. I was in Israel last week meeting with friends and survivors and hostage families uh, and I actually felt safer in Israel than I do in this country at this moment in time. And I have two reflections on that visit and on what happened yesterday. First of all, nobody in this house has any business agency at all in telling the state of Israel where it is able to operate to seek to rescue hostages who are being raped yeah, yeah, by Islamic yeah. terrorists yeah, who yeah. hold them. And again, it's this situation that nobody really wants to talk about. And if the result of having a debate about what's happening in another country is this divisive, then maybe they shouldn't do it. Well, you know, I'm not saying that it's not relevant, but, you know, it's maybe not relevant for British MPs to be arguing in a tribal fashion about which, you know, let, method let, of a ceasefire you should be having. Last night's fiasco, yeah. it was a fiasco. It was so politically charged. Yeah. What the SNP wanted to do was to show up the division yeah. in Labour. Right. Because they're very divided on this issue. So this whole stop Hoyle, right. the, the, the whole thing. Just stop Hoyle. Just stop Hoyle, see what I did there? Yes. You work on that sort of principle. The reality is this. It was there, it was politically charged, and it's a abhorrent. Mm. There are certain issues we should pr properly discuss in a mature way mm. to turn around and say, look, there are other issues in this country we need to address yeah. as well, but let's not use this as a political well, it's, hot it's potato. An, it's an insult to the British public because if you can get this heated and this and this charge about something that doesn't affect us, I mean, the whole thing, the whole fiasco was an exercise in virtue signaling. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like this vote is suddenly going to change the Netanyahu no, of course not. A decision on the actions in Gaza. Yeah. I mean, if you want to have the conversation of how much we spend on defence, which I think is a very valid conversation because we've half defence spending since the 80s. Absolutely, but that should be in the context of British protection and yeah. British interests. Well, that's the other thing. But we that's not what they're even talking no. about. Well, I mean, we can't even fire a missile up into the air uh, until we can just watch it come back down again yeah. uh, on top of you. I mean, that's yeah. what happened in Florida. It's metaphorical they, you know, of the I blame government. Grant Shapps, yeah. by the way, because uh, you know, he was on the boat. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, 
Most people in this country, yes, you're right to say that we are affected by what's happening in the Red Sea. We are affected by some of the things yeah. that happen geopolitically. But most people in this country are worried about putting food on the table for their yeah. kids, yeah. making sure they get from one end of the day to the next without having a car crash or yeah. getting stabbed on the street or getting robbed, you know, or having some kind of accident where they end up in hospital for the hours and hours and then because there's no doctors to see them. But I will say, in this country, I feel the outrage, the things that are happening abroad, this... This outrage that happens online, it's the faux moralism. Yeah. Everybody wants to say, you know, I'm part of this. I want to hashtag this. Right. This is what I Here's stand for. Here's my Palestinian yeah. flag. This is what yeah. I stand for. I mean, I went past a, an architecture building on the way into London mm. today, and they had Free Palestine up there. I, I wonder what they are actually doing within their business. Right. Or, or is that just, you know, shop, shop front dressing? Yeah, well, right. I mean, I think, I think it's, it says something. It says a lot about this country that particularly middle-class elites are more outraged by what's going yes. on abroad. And I'm not saying I don't care about what's going on in Gaza. Of course, it's important. It's heartbreaking and all of that. Yeah. But most people are more outraged by that than drug deaths in Glasgow yeah. or yeah. homelessness in Leeds. Right. Or kids or, being or, stabbed or to death. The, it, it, HS2. Exactly. exactly. And I just think, actually, how much weight do we have to give what these people have to say? Yeah. Because we're supposed to be living in the UK. We're supposed to be British. We're supposed to love this country and have a sense of duty to our, our fellow citizens. And yet we're more outraged by things that are happening elsewhere. And, and, and what, what's outrageous as well is a lot of people on these marches don't really know what no. the phrase is. They don't know mean. anything. So, no. Stop, well, we've all, seen, we've all seen the, yeah. the various, um, you know, sort of interviews on the streets. Yeah. Which with, river, which sea? Which river, which sea, they don't know. Yeah. I mean, I saw one in America where they were talking about the Black Sea, yeah. Caspian Sea, <laughs> you know, the Bering <laughs> Sea. Exactly. You know. Jordan Sea and Mediterranean Sea is, that, is, is yeah. the thing. But the, the whole... But, and people, this, the reason it's so offensive, we should remind people, is it's talking about genocide. Mm. It's, it's genocidal intention right. by saying from the river to the sea. Right. If people realise that what they're supporting, I think some people would hopefully think twice before... Well, see, that. the trouble again, though, we, we're out of time, unfortunately, but as long as the police keep telling them, actually, don't worry about yeah. it, you're fine. Yeah. It's not a crime as long as it's part of a public protest. Well, you know, they're just going to keep doing it. It is a crime under the Terrorism Act. Of they course it is. It. It's ridiculous. The police now talk themselves out of actually arresting people and telling people the things that are crimes actually are not crimes. Unbelievable. Anyway, thank you, guys. We'll have you back very soon, shortly. Uh, you're watching the indestructible Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Up next, we're asking whether drunk drivers should have their licences revoked on the spot and look at a teenager's interesting way of protesting potholes. Stay where you are. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, with both drug and drink driving on the rise, police are calling for new powers that would see motorists instantly disqualified at the roadside. Last year, almost half of roadside drug tests taken returned positive, as did one in ten breathalyser tests, and 84% of the positive readings were men. Let's chat now to Harry Tangi, a former traffic officer who attended over 150 fatal road traffic collisions. Harry, uh, very good evening to you. Welcome back. Uh, it's nice to have you back on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Um, I'm slightly surprised in a way. I was under the impression that if you get pulled over um, and you test positive at the roadside, are you not then arrested anyway and taken away um, and you aren't actually allowed to continue on driving, are you? Yeah, so um, you could be involved in a road accident that isn't even your fault. Mm. And the uh, the laws allow the police officer to take those swabs or right. to drive anyway, or if you suspect it, right. uh, if a police officer suspects the way they're driving. So that's a screening device. That's a road, roadside test. If you think of that, it's to save their time and hours right. as police officers if they're under. Because then the next process, then that you go to the police station, it's right. big, put on the big machine, it gives two readings, you take the lower, and if that's positive, they get charged for court. 
Now, of course, in the old days, it used to be a court, it used to be a week later. Right. Um, and I found in the experience, it tended to be people with drink problems. Mm. And now, when I, the last couple of years uh, in the police, when I finished in 2020, uh, there's a lot of people out there who are socially taking cocaine mm. and um, uh, and cannabis. Right. And they're all around us. Yeah. And their confidence is up, but their abilities are less. Yes. So... If you think about it as well, if, if you take the equivalent of somebody gets assaulted, they get charged and they get bail conditions, perhaps right. bail conditions to actually not go to an area. Mm. So it's just a stretching that a little bit. Right. Bail conditions, you could say the equivalent of you're not allowed to drive until you go to court. Right. So, I mean, at the moment, for example, if you're swabbed and you're you're positive on the roadside for some drug or other, whether it's cocaine or, or marijuana, do you then go to the police station and have a further test for the drugs as well? Yeah, and uh, the the quick bit's over. Now you're in the police station, you're waiting in the queue, you then have to arrange for the police surgeon, who's a standard uh, GP, mm. who would uh, who is trained in police procedures to actually take blood samples. That right. then goes off and uh, for drugs, for example, and, uh, and, and then the results come back. So it could be that whole stretch of time right. that they then come back as positive and then they go to court, and then they get banned from right. court. Oh, so what? So you could leave the police station without the results having come back? You mean? Oh yes. What that you, seems what a bit the, mad to me. Well, what they do with drink driving is you have to uh, uh, blow a roadside test yeah. below the limit before they release you, because what right. they don't want, of course, is you going out, getting your car or a friend's car, yeah. and then killing somebody. Right. Um, so it's very carefully monitored on mm. that side of things. They don't release you when it's safe to do so, uh, you know. But as I say, it tends to be people with drink problems, I mm. found, and people who, who tend to be more selfish people who just think, ah, oh, I'll be all right, yeah, well, yeah. whatever, you know. And I, I dealt with a lot of road, road deaths. Um, a, a good amount of them were affected. And don't, just don't even think of the road deaths. It could, the other extreme is some idiot drives into your car. Yeah, right. And then drives off. And you've right. got all the hassle of sorting out your insurance mm. because it's got dents down the side right. of it. So you've got from that, so you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands like that. And quite frankly, we don't want people who are not with their full abilities mm. driving around with our with our families no. being used as kids. No, you're absolutely right about the drug thing. I mean, I, I was driving, and I mean, this happens quite a lot. You're driving down the road and suddenly there's a bit of a, a, a whiff of, of marijuana smoke, right? Um, and I pulled up at the lights and I thought, well, that was just driving through a cloud of it or something. And it turned out it was coming from the car in front because the guy in front was yeah. just clearly smoking yeah. a joint and, and blowing yeah. the smoke and, out and you the get window. That lot. Right. And I bet everyone, I bet all of your viewers now will go, yeah, yeah, I had that the other day. I had yeah. that the other day. Those, those individuals don't realise, and sometimes they're just young, you know, bit sort of whatever, having a bit good time, what harm's it doing? Yeah. No, they'll get a ban the same as drink drive. Yeah. So they've lost their job. They can no longer pay their mortgage if they're or their rent. Yeah. And they're in a whole host. And the fact that you've got the stigma because your neighbour's looking at you as a drink driver, yeah, yeah. potential killer. Exactly. So the word's really got to go out. Mm. And is the new policy or the new suggestion uh, that after the the, 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 the the sort of police station sample comes back positive, that, that at that point you would just ban them straight away? Uh, we would love it. We'd love it. Certainly ban them until they go to the court, and mm. then the court can actually look at the evidence and say, yes, you're continued to ban for another 18 months, here's yeah. your fine, and there's your points or whatever. Um, or the I found experience was it was only very few um, 
not guilty, people yeah. found not guilty for drink driving because it's pretty obvious they were because they right. smell of it and the figures are high and the right. screening devices on the roadside are very accurate. Yeah. Um, it tends to be on a technicality because the officer hasn't ticked a box and you've mm. got some barrister for 10 grand a day yeah. to come to and realise you, realize off, you yeah. haven't ticked the box. So what else have you got wrong? Ooh, element of doubt, mm. that yes. sort of thing, really. No, exactly. And because now most of the roadside arrests, they film them, don't they? So if you are... Uh, the worst for wear, it, you can, you've got sort of physical evidence yeah, of that. Yeah. But it's a part of the problem here as well, though, Harry, the fact that there's just not enough police out there to do this kind of thing anyway. Oh, it's just, it's so frustrating. I, I left the job thinking I'm going to stay positive. It, it's, it's probably not, you know, you'd say it was in the good old days when I was there and it's it's effed now, you know, and I'm not going to stay positive. I'm struggling, struggling, struggling. The undermining of police officers, especially in the Met, they're scared to move. Their bosses are scared mm. to move. And the front line just need good leadership. And they haven't got it. And you're talking mm. about the protests earlier. You know, you, you got, I, I speak to someone who was there earlier and, and they said, actually, the TSG came by, flashed the blues. And, and the crowd were, they knew that they were the organised, the train one. Yeah. And, they, and, and they were worried. And, and it, it sort good. of passed it by. And it's the same with drink driving mm. with anything. You can't have a little word in the, someone's ear now because the camera's out and they're mm. videoing you and you're sticking it on YouTube. Right. It's, policing's been really undermined and the front line just needs, they're aching for good leadership mm. and they're scared to move because anything they do, complaints, suspended, years of trauma. And I'm, I'm speaking to officers like that every day, ripping yeah. their hair out. And then you've got all the suicides. We are in deep trouble with policing. I'm, I'm sorry, Mike, it's yeah. terrible right now. No, listen, I totally agree with you. And, and, and I'm, I wish there was something we could do. Maybe we could talk about that in Parliament instead of going on and on about Gaza uh, every day. But, but listen, they're in Harry, enough trouble thank as well. You. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Harry, thanks very much indeed. Harry Tangy there. Pleasure. Um, thank you, Mike. Moving swiftly on now, though. Normally, I'd be the first to have a crack at protesters, as you know, particularly those just-stop oil pests. But this is something that I can actually get my head around. A teenager has taken his campaign against potholes to new levels by pretending to fish in them. Ben Thornbury has been wearing the mask of his local MP, James Gray, to highlight what he calls a plague in craters across Malmesbury in Wiltshire. And the fisherman, Ben, joins me now. Ben, a very good evening to you. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Good evening. This is a great idea. I'm very much in favour of creative uh, protest. So uh, when did you come up with the idea and, and why is it so bad in Malmesbury? Yeah, so I saw the idea a couple of weeks ago. It was like a meme on the internet. And yeah. so I brought a fishing rod, got a net, got a sign. And my brother's quite good at woodwork, so right. he made the sign. And we went out with it, um, <laughs> made a face mask. And we went out into the road on a Friday morning when it was really busy and just decided to go fishing. I'd never been fishing before. Right. But the roads in Malmesbury are awful. Abbey Road, Park Road, Athelstan Road. They're just like, I describe it as a play, just everywhere across the roads and it's yeah. just damaging vehicles damaging cars it's not good it's really dangerous for, for for cyclists and people on motorbikes as well because they tell me it's actually a lot worse for them because they go into a pothole and they try and swerve to avoid one they get hit by a car yeah the local cycling club around malmesbury has been complaining because they go down abbey road quite often so right. it's not good it really isn't no and so what reaction did you get from the uh, the cars that were passing you did they look slightly so, aghast People were coming past us, honking horns, going and putting their thumbs up, going, thank you so much for raising awareness of right. the issue. They just kept coming past. And, you know, it's quite a small community, Malmesbury, so everyone sort of knows you. So yeah. 
people sort of knew it, it was me anyway because I get up to quite a lot of community activities. Oh, that's good. And have you got a little fish that I can see there on the end of the rod? Yeah, I brought a little fish on Amazon, but I, I did want to go to a, a fish shop and get like one of the massive fish. That would have <laughs> made a good sort of thing to put on the end. Right. And what's been the reaction from the local council? Because no doubt they'll say, oh, we haven't got any money, we can't afford to fix the potholes, can't do anything. Um, they responded and said that they were going to patch the road up. I think it's like in two years, though, so we're sort of pushing and hoping it's going to be done in a, a year's time. But right. they just say the same old thing all the time. But we did the crazy golf last year in the middle of the road, and that we got a resurfaced high street about two months later. Oh, I remember so that, yeah. I didn't realise that was you. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, it shows you that they don't like the publicity and they might actually maybe do something after you've been on, on this show. What about the MP? Has he said anything to you about um, impersonating his face? Uh, no, he hasn't said a lot apart from trying to back up his office and saying, please report all the potholes to his office, the right. same old thing as always. But, you know, this is just a way to show the potholes and try and get something done. Because, you know, you can complain by email, mm. letter and stuff like that. But, you know, you need a way to get the council's attention that's actually going to make them do something. And unfortunately, they don't respond to complaints by email and letter, I find. No. You've got, you know, us young people have quite creative ideas on how to go about things. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people in these offices set up email addresses just so that you can send them something, but they'll never actually read it. Because it gives, yeah, them, exactly. it gives them an excuse to yeah. say, oh, well, just send it to our you know, email hub. But nobody ever actually bothers to look at it. No, and it just feels like you're just going into the inbox and just sitting there. So if I can get out there and I can come up with a creative way to do it, I will. And, you know, I'll speak for the whole town and, you know, potholes are awful. And we need the council to actually step up and do something now. Absolutely. And, I mean, the problem with a lot of the pothole repairs that go on as well is they don't do them right. And so then, literally a couple of months later, you've got another great big hole. It's, what's the biggest one you've seen in Malmesbury? Yeah, the biggest ones are on, like, some of the um, lanes coming out of the town, and they are massive ones because they're, like, country lanes yeah. because the tarmac's not very good. They open up really big circles of tarmac, and it just goes, and then people try to drive through them. It's mm. awful, the ones on the country lanes. Right. So how long are you going to keep doing this for? Is it something you're going to do kind of on a weekly basis till they sort it? Uh, well, I'm going to continue con raising awareness and stuff like that, coming up with different ideas of what to do with the potholes until they can. S until I'm quite satisfied, to be yeah. quite honest. Good for you. And have you got ambitions to go into politics when you get um, to the point where you might want to do something else? Uh, possibly, yeah. I have. I am thinking about going into sort of politics and that sort of thing. So I'll see what happens. You, know, yeah. you never know what takes you. And what are you doing at the moment in terms of? Uh, are you still a student? Uh, I'm currently at college. I do ICT, so I'm usually stuck in an office usually most of the time. <laughs> right. Oh, well, that's good. Well, listen, it's a great idea. Well well done to you. Good luck. Let us know if it works. Let us know if they start filling in the potholes and we can come uh, and take a look at that as well. Great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Thornbury there, uh, all the way down in Malmesbury uh, in Wiltshire. You're watching the Defiance Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up after the break, we'll have the latest news on the Alexei Navalny death and how the West is punishing Russia for the war in Ukraine. We'll see you after this.
Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Now, earlier today, the UK announced more than 50 further sanctions against Russia ahead of the second anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine. It comes as Alexei Navalny's mother was finally given access to see her son's body, where she then accused Russian investigators of planning to bury her son in secret without a funeral. Let's bring in now Executive Director of National Security Think Tank, the Henry Jackson Society, Dr Alan Mendoza. Alan, a very good evening to you. Welcome to the Independent Republic. Thanks for joining us. Um, on the second anniversary, uh, as we know, of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I was just reminded that uh, uh, on your Twitter it says that you've been placed on the official sanctions list of the Russian um, Republic for collecting and analysing information for fighting Russia. So you're still one of the bad guys as far as they're concerned. Well, yes, me. I, I wish it was a, an exclusive club, but actually the Russians have um, attempted to, uh, you know, obviously uh, sanction a lot of people in the UK, MPs, campaigners, uh, people looking for justice in uh, Russian human rights uh, uh, supporters. So um, it's a growing ban, but I think mm. everyone who's in that band is quite happy to be uh, taking it to Mr Putin at every opportunity we can. Yes, and there's a lot of questions, though, about sanctions and whether they've been working, whether putting any more sanctions uh, will make any difference. Putin appears at the moment to be doing whatever the hell he likes, doesn't he? Well, the problem we face with sanctions is that, A, we haven't, as was announced today, 50 more new you know, sanctions. Well, why haven't we put them on already? It seems strange two years right. into the war. We are still finding new sanctions spot on. So, mm. number one, why hasn't our coverage been 100% uh, so far? And secondly, of course, even if our coverage and all the free world's coverage is, is 100%, we still have a lot of uh, other agents who are mm. willing to support Putin by buying his oil, buying his goods and keeping him going for another way. So it's only ever going to be a temporary measure. But, you know, Mike, sanctions never solved anything on their own. In reality, uh, you always need multiple points of pressure to bring uh, a result you want mm. to bear in national relations. So looking at the war having been going on for two years, a lot, an awful lot of money um, going to Ukraine from here, from the United States as well, from the EU, um, where are we, if we can say where we are, in a year from now? Will it still be going on? Will there be some kind of tipping point? What do you think? Well, you know, a lot depends on what happens this year in terms of that supply. So it is true, you're right, we've spent a lot of money in the past, we've uh, supplied weapons in the past, but in order for Ukraine to keep on um, taking, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with a much numerically superior force, the Russians, mm. uh, who can replenish equipment much more easily as well, we have to keep on giving them the kit to do so. Mm. All the evidence has told us in the past that when we give the Ukrainians the kit to finish the job, they're able to do it. And when they, when we don't do it, they can't do it. So really, Mike, that answer is down to us. Are we and our allies willing to supply Ukraine with what it needs in the coming months to win this war, or are we not? And if we don't, we'll only have ourselves to blame when Mr Putin comes knocking on Eastern Europe's door next. Yeah, and when we see all the focus on Gaza at the moment, when we saw what we saw in the House of Commons yesterday, you know, there hasn't really ever been a plan put into place uh, internationally, has there, for a ceasefire in Ukraine, for example, or for some kind of form of um, of a truce or some kind of form of, a, of an agreement that could be signed around a table? Because the West thus far um, has seen Russia only as the invader and only as somebody that has to be beaten. But Russia is only the invader. It is, that's what it is. Yeah. It's not a negotiating partner um, that you can say has got some rightful claims here. That's not what's happened. What they've done is they've crossed international borders, used armed force to try and secure territory. And Mike, in those conditions, anything short of a Russian, uh, you know, sort of agreement to withdraw their forces back to where they were before this war began is not going to fly. And if you do reward aggression in that way, what's to stop any other aggressor saying, well, you know what, I'll go over the border of my neighbour, um, I'll win a bit of land here and the West and others will give me what 
what I want within two, three years if I just hang it out. That's not a solution for, for global peace, is it? No, it certainly isn't. And have you got any worries about what happens with NATO over the coming year and the coming two years, obviously waiting to see what happens uh, with the new president? I mean, I'm not one of those that thinks that Donald Trump means it when he says he's going to encourage Russia to actually invade uh, NATO countries that don't pay their way. It looks like what he said worked and they are now paying their way. Well, I'm with you on that. I think, you know, what he, he's got an unorthodox way about him on issues like this. I don't believe he would stand by if NATO allies were attacked. But at the same time, it's quite right that uh, NATO and European powers must pay their way in defence because the world is becoming ever more complicated. And the only way that we can meet the challenges that are ahead of us mm. is by spending the requisite amount on defence. If we don't do that, once again, we will be the, uh, you know, the authors of our own demise. So it's incumbent on every NATO member every free world country to maximise its defence expenditure right now, because every penny spent on prevention and deterrence is you know, much better than spending pounds on fighting wars. No, exactly right. Good to talk to you, Alan. Thanks very much indeed. Dr Alan Mendoza there from the Henry Jackson Society. You're watching the raging independent Republican, Mike Graham. Coming up just around the corner, we'll have the latest uh, on the King's cancer battle. Plus, we'll have a video that can only be described as jawsome. I know you're not going to go anywhere. I'll see you after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.
Welcome back. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and, of course, we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, King Charles says he was reduced to tears by the messages of support sent his way after his cancer diagnosis. Hundreds of sub-postmasters wrongly convicted in the Horizon scan are set to have their names cleared under a new law. And a dad from Blackpool reels in a great white shark on a fishing trip with his mates. But don't worry, he wasn't actually in Blackpool. Now, it's happened again, and it's about the fourth time this month alone. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, you know I don't like to say it, but I'm afraid it's true. I told you so. I've been saying for years that the sheer number of migrants coming to this country, whether legal or illegal, is bound to be having an effect on our cities and towns, and indeed on many parts of our culture. I've been saying the sheer numbers must be making it more difficult to get a dentist, must be making it more difficult to get a GP appointment, and that getting around on our roads must be harder because there are more people in more cars. And that's before I talked about how hard it has made it for anyone trying to find accommodation, whether it's for a house, a flat, or even a bedsit. New figures published today have proved my points in more ways than one. First up, the housing crisis has been exacerbated by the immigration system and costs have been rising in tune. Private tenants now spend as much as 40% of their disposable income on rent. And it's worse in London, where 67% of private rented households are headed by somebody born overseas. The number of new homes in the capital has increased by 10.7% since 2011, but the share of London's population arriving from overseas in the same period is running at 16.6%. The maths is obvious. There's too many people coming in and there's not enough housing. Other findings from the analysis done by Tory MP Neil O'Brien, who's hardly a rabid right-winger, include that the large proportion of migrants coming to the UK take more out of the system than they pay in in taxes. Again, something I've been banging on about since before the Brexit referendum. 68% of migrants coming in legally on skilled work visas are actually doing jobs for less money than the median earnings of full-time workers. And here's what he said his analysis shows. And I quote, Over the long term, a large proportion of those who have come to the UK have not been net taxpayers. So existing residents have faced the downsides on housing and the sharing out of the capital stock between more people without getting the upside of a net tax contribution. Well, whoop-de-doo, a Conservative MP who's finally worked out what we've been telling them for years. You could have just been listening and watching Talk TV. The current levels of immigration are clearly unsustainable, and the myth that all these people who are being allowed in are creating a net benefit to our economy is also clearly balderdash. Neil used to be known as Matt Hancock's house elf when he was Secretary of State for Health. He's clearly better than that, I only wish he would go and tell the Prime Minister the truth. Now, coming up later on in the show, we'll be bringing you a first look at tomorrow's front pages. And before anyone else, we've got an exclusive look at a page from The Sun newspaper, a double-page spread, in fact, by Harry Cole, their political editor, on whether the world is ready for Trump 2.0. Harry says, we are absolutely desperate for some proper leadership, but unfortunately, we don't have any yet. But will Trump be the leader we can cope with in the next two years. We will see. Very interesting stuff. We'll bring you more details on that and more from the papers coming up a little bit later on in the show when the panel returns. But now, let's talk about His Majesty the King because he said that he's been moved to tears by the cards and well wishes he's received since his cancer diagnosis. This follows yesterday where the King met Prime Minister Rishi Sunak for the first time face-to-face -face 
since his diagnosis. Joining me now is the former BBC Royal Correspondent, Michael Cole. Michael, welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Glad to be able to talk to you about something slightly more uplifting than the BBC uh, this time around. Um, the King, obviously, very, very keen to continue to work as much as he can. Went to see Rishi Sunak, had a face-to-face -face meeting. Um, he seems to be doing OK at the moment. Obviously, we can't say for sure, but, but what's your take on it all? Good evening, Mike. Uh, yeah, big boys don't cry. But, of course, if you're a king, uh, you can make your own rules up. And I yes. think it was very affecting to hear the king say that all the wonderful messages of goodwill he'd received from around the country and around the world had reduced him to tears. And I imagine, confronted with uh, intimations of your own mortality, uh, you're entitled to have a little bit of a weep before you get on with the job. And yesterday he was showing himself getting on with the job. It's not unprecedented for the monarch to be seen meeting and greeting uh, the prime minister. You will remember that only, I think, two days before her death, Her Majesty the Queen met uh, Liz Truss up at Balmoral, and Liz Truss came in dressed like a postulant nun and showed that she had not a faintest clue about how to do a curtsy. But the Queen obviously put her at ease, and that's how it is during these meetings, where which are officially called an audience of the monarch. So yes. there we see there we see Sunak sitting down for his audience. Now, during this audience, of course, which is never filmed, it's only two people, notes are not taken, there are no minutes, it's completely private, mm. and there are never any leaks. And during that time, of course, the monarch exercises the royal prerogative. And what's that? Well, it's in three parts, like the Holy Trinity. The monarch has the right to be consulted, i.e. to be told, and he has the right to warn, and he has the right to encourage. Mm. Now, what went on yesterday, we shall never know, but I'm quite sure that they seem to be getting on very well together. And the king uh, looked, uh, to my mind, quite well, considering his diagnosis, and is quite clean to show uh, that the show goes on. Yes. And there was a lot of talk at the time, wasn't there, that, you know, because he'd been so candid previously about his prostate problem, that maybe it would be more helpful if he was a bit more forthcoming about what this particular cancer is. But, but that's not really moved on since the original diagnosis. Do you still think, perhaps, that there will come a time when he tells us what it is that uh, he's got, what cancer it is that he's got? Mike, I do. i tell you why, because... It was intimated last night. Uh, he said, or Sunak said to him, yeah, it's given such a boost to all these charities. And he said, yes, all these wonderful cancer charities, which I've been patron for years. Now, when he sees those figures where a thousand percent increase in the helplines for prostate cancer mm. or inquiries about prostate problems, uh, when he sees uh, the charities saying this has done a tremendous amount of good, I think within reason... Uh, and obviously he's as entitled to privacy uh, as the rest of us, he should come forward, and I think he will. In America, of course, uh, the Americans have a right, it's not in the Constitution, but they seem to have a right to know everything about the health of the president, you know, his blood pressure, uh, everything about him down to, you know, from his, uh, the tips of his toes to the top of his head. Mm. And that is published uh, in the press, and people discuss it. We haven't quite got to that uh, in this country, but I think if he's well advised and when he sees the reaction there has been, the king will uh, take a decision on it, and I think he would be applauded. I, I mean, in this day and age, I mean, when I was growing up, I'm a bit older than you, quite a lot older than you, 
people didn't dare to say the, the cancer word. It was it was just never spoken. And um, in fact, it's changed now. Uh, the C word is mentioned. And incidentally, if I may, <laughs> may do a little bit of boasting, uh, the C word, I'm responsible for that being currency because John Wayne, the famous Hollywood actor, mm. flew into London in the early 70s to make one of his last films, and he'd been ill. And I interviewed him at Heathrow Airport on film, and he said, I've beaten the C word. I've right. beaten the C word. I've beaten the big C. That right. was it, the big C. And, and then after that, people became much more uh, willing to discuss it. I don't think we need to have uh, a daily bulletin but I think it would be helpful to people, and I think it's one in three of us in, in this world will yeah. face cancer at some stage in our lives, and hopefully most of us will uh, get over it sufficiently that we can have a good life. Right. And I presume it's still not that clear either exactly what kind of treatment he's getting. And again, some people have speculated about what it might be uh, that he's been coming back to London uh, every so often to be getting parts and, and bits of that treatment. Again, I mean, I'm not saying well, we should know, uh, but again, would, would, that would probably benefit from his um, talking about it as well. Yeah, well, I, it's interesting. He's gone to Sandringham, probably the most, apart from Balmoral, which is pretty cold this time of year, the most isolated one of his estates. I think because he wants to keep separate from everybody. I noticed that, and I've been there many times, the media at uh, St. Mary Magdalene Church at Sandringham are being kept, kept back at least another 50 yards from where they used to be. They want to keep him private because when you're having any sort of cancer treatment, uh, the risk of infection, uh, of course, uh, is, 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 is to be avoided at all costs. And I think he's coming down to London, combining it with visits like the one we saw yesterday in order to have what amounts to uh, inpatient, outpatient mm. treatment. He's obviously seeing his specialists. They're doing whatever it is they're doing. I think at some stage, depending upon how it progresses and how noticeable it is, it may be uh, that they would wish to uh, reassure the public about the progress and the good progress, which we hope there will be. That would seem to me to be sensible. Things are changing. And I tell you what, Mike, and we're both experience. We've been around the block a few times. I think the way Buckingham Palace is shaping up from a press point of view, and particularly Kensington Palace, they're actually, the new people that got in there are doing it a lot better than the old guard. Yes, I think that's probably true. And I wonder whether in their conversation, uh, Rishi Sunak and, uh, and the King had a conversation or a discussion about what Prince William came up with this week because he kind of set the heather alight, didn't he? Um, and said that uh, uh, he issued his statement about Gaza, calling for an end to the fighting. A lot of people thought it was political. A lot of people thought it was the right thing to do. What did you make of that? Well, you've stated the constitutional position absolutely perfectly, but there... To every rule, there is an exception. And I said on your channel before it was even confirmed, I said that Prince William would not have said any of this without passing it first before Number 10 Downing Street and the Foreign Secretary, Lord Cameron. And that was later confirmed in the day. And Sunak said uh, this is in line with government thinking. Mm. Uh, and Prince William did not actually use the word ceasefire. But Mike, Mike he's got credentials. You know, he's got credentials. He was the first royal person to make an official visit to Israel. And he went to the West Bank yeah. and he also said to the Palestinians, you are not forgotten. Mm. And let me just say that after the terrible 
atrocities, Hamas atrocities on the 7th of October, he and his wife uh, issued a statement saying uh, uh, that they were suffering profound distress because of that attack. And Michael, he's got special status in uh, Israel. And I'll tell you why, because his great grandmother, Princess Alice of Greece and Denmark, she is designated in Israel as real aristocracy. Mm. She is one of the righteous among the nations. She is one of the people who risked their lives to help Jews. And she did that when she saved Jewish lives in Athens during World War II. Mm. And she's buried on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which means, of course, city of peace, yeah. as if. And wouldn't it be wonderful if it were? Mm. Well, it would. But, I mean, as we've seen, uh, unfortunately, here on the streets and inside the Houses of Parliament, it's not that easy to solve. And the Israeli government weren't all that keen, I think, on what he said um, and said, well, it would be lovely, but, you know, there are a few problems uh, in the way, notably Hamas. And that is, of course, the other problem. And when we discussed it here yeah. on, on, on my show, I said, you know, he does leave himself open slightly, does he not, to now having to sort of pronounce on some, some other things that happen. You know, there's a lot of conflict yeah, in the but, world. Uh, there's a lot of people dying. Yeah, but the, the chief rabbi of this country, Mervis, who uh, is an extraordinary man, he welcomed what Prince William said. The thing is, Mike, you know, we've got a, a, a lot, a, a huge role in this. It was the Balfour Declaration that paved the way to the Jewish homeland. And, and from 1919, Treaty of Versailles, until 1948, the establishment of, of the uh, State of Israel, we exercised the, the mandate. We ran the place. We ran Palestine, as it was then called. Um, so we are very much involved in this. And do you know what? I actually think that uh, Netanyahu would have listened more closely to what Prince William said than more than he would have done to even President Biden mm. or, or Rishi Sunak, if he, if, he's, if he even thinks about him at all. I think that when Prince William took that unprecedented step, um, the thing is that if he'd said nothing, Michael, I think ordinary people would have said, well, doesn't he care? Mm. And what is interesting, a poll which has been taken, I think it's YouGov, says that two thirds of people in this country approve uh, and support what he said. So I think he's on message and I think he's got it right. OK, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Michael Cole there, uh, former royal correspondent, of course, uh, at the BBC. Uh, I've got some uh, messages that have come in from you to us about, uh, of course, what's going on um, with the King. And here it is. Jake says, God bless the King. I'm so glad to see him back in action. Uh, Anna says, the King is such a kind and gentle-hearted person. Together with Queen Camilla, they have both grown to be very special to me. Long live the King and all blessings to the Prince and Princess of Wales and their gorgeous children. One more. Jane says, as someone who has watched family members suffer and die with this dreadful disease, I would never wish this upon my worst enemies. The toll it takes is heart-wrenching. I wish King Charles well and pray that he and they have caught it early to give the right treatment. Now, before we go to the break, I've got a jawsome story for you. Get it? Gus Smith, a dad from Blackpool, caught a whopping 560-pound great white shark in a fishing trip off the coast of New Zealand. Now, you know you cannot watch something like this without hearing the noise. You know the one I mean, don't you? 
It is, of course, the music from Jaws. Uh, Amityville, the little island off the coast of, uh, of New York and New England, uh, where Jaws was made, the Steven Spielberg film. Absolutely brilliant film. I still watch it to this day, and I still fear sharks, I have to say. Um, and whenever I've swum in waters where sharks have been, uh, I'm always very, very wary, and I'm not too keen. I once swam off the coast of North Carolina, um, in a part of a beach there called Kiri Beach. And a week after I left, two Russian tourists were eaten by a great white shark. Absolutely shocking. Horrif horrific. Ghastly. You're watching the mighty Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Hang on in there, though, because hundreds of sub-postmasters are set to have their names cleared. Plus, a private spacecraft could be about to make history on the moon. Stay right here on Earth. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now it's time for Taking the Mic. It's the evening after the morning after the night before, and I'm afraid the events in the House of Commons on Wednesday still look as bad as they ever did. Today in Parliament has been punctuated by MPs making charge and countercharge of how we could have arrived at such a dreadfully low point. It hasn't been a pretty sight. It all kicked off this morning with leader of the Commons, Penny Mordaunt, laying the blame for the fiasco in the mother of all parliaments squarely at the front door of Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer. She said his intervention, which was to seek an audience with Speaker Sir Lindsay Hoyle, was proof, if we needed it, that Starmer is not fit to lead Britain. I tend to agree with her. She accused Sir Keir of putting the interests of the Labour Party before the interests of the British people. It's the Labour leader, she said, that doesn't get Britain, and this past week has shown he is not fit to lead it. Starmer, of course, responded by saying that he did speak to Lindsay Hall, but at no time did he ever threaten him or tell him that Labour MPs might be harmed if his amendment was not allowed to be debated and voted upon. But it's worth remembering that Labour at first denied any conversation took place at all when it emerged last night. So why should we believe them now? Starmer reckons he simply wanted to tell the Speaker that the debate should be as broad as possible, but he looked noticeably dodgy and couldn't answer whether other Labour MPs may have warned Lindsay Hall that he could lose support if he didn't back their amendment. So far, so confusing. Because Lindsay Hoyle himself said today that he was worried that he would have blood on his hands if Labour MPs were attacked, intimidated or even killed by Islamist terrorists as a result of a stand they were taking publicly on the Israel-Gaza conflict. So someone must have told him that, and my bet is that it was either Starmer or someone very close to him. After all, they can't all be telling the truth. Later this afternoon, Rishi Sunak finally spoke up after keeping quiet for nearly 24 hours. He said the Speaker's handling of the Gaza ceasefire vote was, in his words, very concerning. The, minister added, the Prime Minister added that Parliament should never be intimidated by extremists. Dozens of MPs have now signed a letter of no confidence in Lindsay Hoyle, and despite most people insisting that he is a pretty decent guy who appears to have been bullied into making his mistake, he is hanging on to his job by a very thin thread. I actually think he should go now before he loses any more credibility. His reputation is old below the waterline. He said the threats related to him were frightening. He said, if my mistake is looking after members, I'm guilty. Well, I'm afraid that is where we are. Now, it's been nearly half a century since Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first humans to land on the moon. And now Texan company Intuitive Machines, which is a private space company, will be the first commercial mission to land on the surface of the moon. The robotic probe, nicknamed Odysseus, 
which is a lunar lander, was carried into orbit by SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket on February the 15th. Intuitive Machines confirmed Odysseus is a robotic probe and it's now circling the moon. On Thursday, today, controllers will lower the orbit from just under 60 miles to six miles. That's about 10 kilometres if you want it in metric. This crucial manoeuvre will take place again on the moon's far side before aiming for a touchdown near the moon's south pole for around about 10.30 GMT. The area is considered a bit risky due to the numerous craters and cliffs, a bit like a road in Malmesbury. But it's also deemed prime real estate for astronauts as the permanently shadowed craters are believed to hold frozen water. Apparently the mission is part of a NASA program to kickstart the lunar economy and the space agency has paid $118 million to get its experiments on the moon. So we're looking now at a picture, I think, of what you could see from that particular craft. I mean, private money going into trips to the moon seems to me to be um, the way forward, I suppose, rather than spending a lot of public money on it. Um, but, I mean, I don't really understand why you would want to go and live on the moon. But some people, I suppose, looking around the planet might go, well, why not? Well, there's Can't no be... atmosphere. And that's... No, well, there you go. <laughs> Nobody goes I think, there. I think we should be able to banish people to the moon. Well, yeah. That's a good I, idea. I, I, yeah, think, I think that's great. Like, I do, here's the thing. I don't really... I think there's something a bit messed up that they're, like, people starving yeah. and these, like, really, really rich people are basically having, like... Uh, a penis swinging well, contest and spending all this Well, it might be that, but the thing is, you've all jumped in on me before I was about to introduce you as being back, you see. <laughs> oh, <Panel>. sorry. <laughs> uh, panel's all here, as you now know, because they're all, all over the place. Surprise! Like a rash. Do you know, uh, here's a little tidbit for you, Neil Armstrong once told me to F off. Oh, did he? Really? Yeah, what did you do? Did, 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 so, did yeah. you say where to? Um, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be brilliant. It was on the phone. Because, oh, was it? Uh, yeah, I had to ring him up for a quote about a story I was doing. Yes. Um, and it was when the Challenger Space Shuttle blew up. Right. You might remember, which wasn't yes. a very nice day. It wasn't a nice. But day. in the old days, you could just ring people up yeah. and get them on the phone, which, you know, proper journalism, because he was at some university in the Midwest and I was yes. in New York. And I rang the university and I said, can you put me through to Neil Armstrong, please? Yes. And they did. <laughs> they did. Right? Really? Wow. <laughs> he goes, hello. And I go, hi, it's Mike Graham here from uh, Today newspaper. Yes. I said, are you Neil Armstrong? He said, yes. And I said, are you the one that walked on the moon? In case it was the wrong Neil Armstrong. Yes. Yeah, of course. Um, and he said, yeah, that was me. And I went, I'm calling from this newspaper, you know, and he kept saying, no, I really don't want to comment about it. I, you know, I just don't want to say anything. It's tragic. No, no, no. And eventually, I just kept asking him and asking him. Eventually, he just said, look, just F off. I oh, did slammed it. the phone down. Oh, very good. And you quoted him, I hope. Yeah, of course. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. You know, proper journalism. <laughs> Real journalism. I love it. There you go. So, I, mean, I'm, I'm quite, I mean, I'm not that interested in going into space, personally. Are you? Would no, you go I, for I'm, it? I, I'd be a bit scared, but I would like to do it just, just for fun. But mm. I, do, I do agree with Esther. You know, the, these very rich men sending phallic-shaped Objects. I don't know why you both billions. keep going on about it being phallic shaped. It's no, meant I, I to be that shape. I feel this. No, because I, mean, I, I feel it's, this is not it's just. Shaped a, like a rocket. Yeah, I, I, that's what I, exactly. Are you, I mean, there the, two, the two are interchangeable, Mike. Is yes, that right? Exactly. Yeah, it's a rocket, rocket, it could be a rocket saying? penis. Yeah, 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 a rocket yeah but I mean, penis. because it's aerodynamically sound. Yes, you can't, I, yes, you can't make like flying saucers and send them up because they're the wrong shape, aren't they? Well, they are for our technology. Only aliens know how to make flying saucers. This is the kind of well, thing like only a man would want to do exactly. because women tend to be a bit more risk averse. It's like, oh, let's like discover aliens. I'm like, what are they looking for you? They're Have right. they told they're you they want to be friends? Why do you? But wouldn't you be? Wouldn't astronauts? you want to be part no. of a sort of a pioneering group of people going to start a new civilization? Absolutely not. A colony up there. And Absolutely it could actually, not. Yeah. It's going to happen. I mean, if I, you yeah. know, it depends I'm still trying to have to 
start my new society. The, right. the great um, thing is AI is helping people to determine now yeah. that there's life on other planets. It's basically speeding well, up why the is that? Why is there that is, our business? Really there is life, though. Aren't, aren't there bacterial forms? Well, there's water. Yeah, but why? There? why yeah, water. The yeah, there's water yeah. on them, which yeah. is phenomenal, which means you can uh, basically live there. Which means why is that? Why do we need... Listen, <laughs> they're not looking for me. I'm not looking for them. I don't want problems. When, like there's no, be- there doesn't need to be any beef between me and some intergalactic thing. Not with the vegan one. I have enough problems on Earth. Is that right? That is no, that no, is I, my. Like, you know what I mean? Enough. I think I- it's you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I I I don't need to know any aliens. I'm like, look, I'm just trying to figure well, out. Well, it's bad. We've got bad news for you. you. Yeah. I'm going to disagree with you. I'm sorry. If a really attractive alien came and you know, what if I had alien age? Why do we have to be attractive? I've got to know each other. You know, have an intergalactic romance. Yeah. An ugly alien. Have you seen what's that? Is that movie Passengers where yes. they go and they go off and they go into these sort of sleep pods and That's they're supposed the to wake up hundreds of years later when they get yeah. to the planet? Yes. But the guy wakes up and then wakes the girl up yes. because he has to treat he has to cheat her into the fact that you know somehow he's he's woken her up and they've had this amazing affair and then she finds out that he cheated on her all the time. But there you go. That's hilarious. I mean, so even in space they can't be trusted men. You know, yeah, the other bad news for anyone who wants to go to the moon is the Chinese already got there first. Apparently they've got a station, haven't they? I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> I don't, do you remember when that panda came out that looked like a man out of like that zoo in China? Oh, yeah. It's like the Chinese are faking yes. it. We're so pan- used to, it, this is, but it was actually a real panda. We're so used to the Chinese faking things. I'm like, mm. were, the bear wasn't real though. Do you remember the, the guy? Bear was, was real. I, I, the bear was real. The guy in the bear suit. Yeah, yeah. He was a bear suit. Come on. No, it was real. I'm telling you. It was real. We're so used to the Chinese faking stuff that we don't even believe that it was a real panda. Real. No, it wasn't. It, well, it was real, but this is the thing. <laughs> the whole fuss around it was the fact that we thought they were faking it. Yeah. Yeah. And because so, I think they probably were. Now, back to fake. what we were saying earlier about the business of politics. Yes. After the squabbling chaos in the House of Commons yesterday, are you sick of politicians? We asked. 97% of people of course said yes. yes, they are. Trust is at an all time low. I think in it is. Fred says, never has there been a time when the public despised politicians so much. Um, TT says, I've been sick of politicians for decades, not just since yesterday. Um, and I mean, unfortunately, that is where we are. People and just don't. Behaviour like that mm. makes it go really, really quickly. We always say that trust comes in on foot, yeah. but leaves on horseback. Right. And all you need is scenes like we saw last night were absolutely appalling. Yeah. And that, that was nothing to do with the real issue. No. It was all to do with politics we no. said beforehand. Shocking. Let's talk about the post office, because the latest development of the post office scandal uh, is the hope that victims are going to be cleared under new legislation. Now, we had the row this week, didn't we, with um, Kemi Badenoch. We still haven't really got to the bottom of that. Um, There was an interview given to the Sunday Times um, by Henry Staunton. That's right. The outgoing or no longer head of the post office. Um, And he kind of more or less intimated that she or the government had suggested to him, slow it all down, don't pay anybody off, lead up to the election, la, 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 la. Um, Don't cause any uh, reasons to frighten the horses. That row still hasn't really been resolved. She accused him of lying. Um, he then released a piece of paper which didn't prove that he was right, actually. So what do you make of all this? Well, it's a mess, and as you say, we need to continue to shine more light and less heat on it. Yeah. And when it comes out, what it's been an extraordinary week for absolute denials across all sorts mm. of things, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. On that sort of basis, what I like about this, they should be speeding up the compensation. Mm. Uh, what they said is that they say forgive, or he's not forgive. They were wrongly convicted. Yeah. 
part of it will be a few guilty people, and there mm. are a few guilty people, yes. will be let off as well. Right. And I always say, we always talk to... So guilty lawyers, of what, though? Well, no, there are the people who've been f fiddling the system. Yeah. And so what they're saying, there were people who were guilty, but the majority were not. Right. So and it's much better that one guilty person gets off, or the, and then basically you have... But if they were guilty and they did time in prison, then they've already... Paid their price yeah, anyway, exactly. Right? Assuming, so I mean, you know, you've already if they've if they've been found guilty, but they would be entitled to the compensation as well. Mm. So and, and I think it's the blanket approach. We're always taught as lawyers, you turn around and say, look, it's much better that ninety nine guilty people get off than one innocent person right. goes down. It's also better when you pay compensation half of it doesn't go to bloody lawyers as oh, well, no. yeah. because that's <laughs> what also right. happens. You are right. You're I mean, they right. gave a load of money away in twenty nineteen, yeah. and I think three quarters of it ended up going yeah, to Norfolk. And that, that's wrong as well. They should look at that. Sort but of yeah. I, I think what most people find annoying is something like this tends to suck the energy out of the room. You're lying. No, you're telling. You're you're lying. No, you. And it's most people are thinking. Oh my God, we're in a cost of living crisis. Oh yeah. my God, my roads are riddled with potholes. Yeah. Oh my God, I cannot see a GP. It's it's so infuriating when they see these kinds of stories come out and dominate the news cycle because they're thinking this should be behind closed doors. No, like no one should publish this because it's utterly well, irrelevant yeah. to our but, lives. But, but uh, with all due respect, if it hadn't been publicised in the way it had on ITV with that brilliant drama, no, no, that's, and it's that's, been that's, that's true. On, and I can tell you what's going to happen as well. The blood, in, the infected blood scans, they're going to do a similar thing. Yeah. I understand, of course, right? yeah, and expose all of that. These things are scandalous and should never, ever, ever have happened. Absolutely, yes. but it, at the stage where we're at now, it's he said, she said, make, make, give the, the victims their compensation as yes. quickly as possible. I don't care about who's lying, she's lying. It's, it's an insult. Yeah, yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. Let's move on to Generation Sick Notes. Um, yes. yes. Because there's a report that's come out which basically says that an entire generation of 18 to 30-year-olds um, is going to fail because they're so anxious and they're so worried about uh, everything that they can't actually operate in modern society. Uh, well, well, it depends, it depends on where these people are. I think if you have people in other parts of the world that have bigger, more salient issues to worry about, they actually tend to thrive because they have their priorities, right? I mean, the fact that 700,000 people in this country were able to, to, to just not have to look for a job ever and just live off unemployment benefits because of their anxiety. Yeah. I mean, what kind of country allows such a, a large number or anyone to live on the dole, not to have not have to look for a job based on anxiety and depression, which is the legacy the of, of, of COVID. Tell me about it. The system right. doesn't work, does Most it? Of no, I think 30. this system is broken. I feel that there is no incentive for people to work because those who are working full-time on minimum wage are actually getting less in their pockets at the end of the day than somebody on benefits who are getting council tax yeah. reductions. Yeah. You know, they're getting free prescriptions. Yeah. All the stuff that people who are working have to pay right. for. But Generation Sick Note, I'm sorry, Generation Burnout. Right. And I'm not surprised this was an article that was in the mail, you know. Um, What's wrong with the mail? No, nothing necessarily wrong with the mail. I just think they have um, a culture of presenteeism whereby it's more important to be seen in the office than do yeah, I agree with that. effective reporting. I think that's right. So if you, you know, weren't here, you wouldn't be as good as you are when you're here. Yeah. You'd be down the line and the line falls and then it's not as interesting. But I, <laughs> I find what I find is that, you know, we're, we're post-pandemic, we're in a situation now where we have learned to get that work-life balance, we can take our kids to school, we can do our shopping, we can go into the office when we need to. Right. And I think that's a work-life balance that we're not willing to let go of. Well, if they've got a work-life, well, if they've got a good work-life balance, why are they so bloody anxious? I think we're anxious why are some because of, them of the, way, the way that our system works. We're expected to push through the flu, through sick days. If we do, if we are ill, we feel guilty about it. Yeah. If we ring our boss and say I'm unwell, you know, we think, we, you know, we feel like we're lying. Sure. The you important. Know, but what did previous generations? 
Americans do. That's I mean, that's literally that's the definition mm. of the, the stiff upper lip. Yeah. Grin and bear it. I mean, the thing is, and I'm not trying to the, compare. The system to, was built better. But the thing is, I'm not trying to compare this this it country to, really, the, to, to the post World War Two days. But there's a certain there's a certain grit that people that live through conflict have that current generations simply don't have. Okay, yes, you would like a better work life balance. That's absolutely reasonable. Our time is taking up by more things. You could say they're more inconsequential for things like TikTok and Instagram. But that's a very fair point. But actually, we don't emphasize resilience enough. Yeah. There is no reason, absolutely no reason for someone, a young, able-bodied person to live on the door and say, I don't need to look for a job because I'm anxious or depressed. Right. And that's right. I, I at the same time... I completely agree with you on that. But I, yeah. will, I will say yeah. that the way that our work system is built, the nine to five work system is on a patriarchal household where the man goes out and earns money and that money is enough to sustain a household. We don't have that now. Women have the triple burden of looking after the children, putting food on the table and working. So we need to rejig this system to suit the contemporary don't you think, though, household. Don't you think though single that people, parents, but don't you, know. you think also that people need to make choices? And therefore, mm. they can't necessarily have everything they want. And I think the problem yeah. with some of the young generation of, of today is that they expect to be able to have everything. Yeah. They yeah. want to be able to have a child when they want. They want to be able to have a work-life balance. They want to be able to have a nice, well-paid job. They want to have a foreign yeah. holiday. They'd like to buy a house, but they say they can't, so they want to be anxious about that. But at the end of the day, if you can't afford to have kids, don't have them. No, you know, absolutely. people who do have them and are now... This week we were hearing complaints about, you know, childcare is so expensive, I might have to give up my job and go yeah. home and look after my child. Well, maybe you should have thought of that before you had the but bloody you child. Not, you know, things are shifting. We should you have know, it's, children, it's, by the way. I don't, we shouldn't encourage people to have fewer kids because that's a problem. As, no, a, yeah. as a parent, I would say that, you know, it's time and, and money aren't exactly... It's, it's not a, a resource that is, is going to be... Static. No, of so course. you might have kids in a, in a where you're in a financially stable place, but that might change. It could, and you know, in which case you have to get a better job or in, get another. Yeah, job. and well, I, know, I believe I believe in working hard. Aspirational for people, encourage people, and to be also kids. be responsible yeah. for your own life. Exactly. Yeah, right? I agree with that. To make sure, and this, what we should really look at is where people genuinely need it. Hmm. Then we may need to make yeah. sure that we As look a after them. But that's the point. But the statistics are horrendous. Four hundred eighty-one thousand young people aged sixteen to twenty-four are currently unemployed. Employed. Yes. Now we need to look at why they are, right. make it aspirational. Those who are genuinely need support, mm. let's make sure the support mechanism is there because the system is not looking after them properly at the moment. Yeah. Look after the ones who genuinely well, need it. Well, it's like everything, isn't it? Is, how do we identify is, is it, is it the, the people who need it? Get professionals in there. Th I don't think it's about the system because when we talk about the system, we're talking about the government, right? We should have we should have the uh, economy that can actually encourage social mobility and growth. So yes, it shouldn't be the system. The government should be able to support you to to, to pull you up or whatever. Actually, we should have. A, a, a higher wage economy, right? We should have a, we should we should have a plethora of jobs that people want to do that can actually sustain the yeah, lifestyle that they want. But we don't. We are we're all sharing, kind of slicing this mediocre pie and trying to split it as evenly exactly. as possible. And, and people are and a lot of people being brought into this country yeah. to fulfil jobs that are not being done by the four hundred yeah. on, yeah. on low right. wages. Which, on, on low wages, yes. So we need and the government be... lets you em employ them on lower yeah. wages. Then exactly. you would have to pay uh, people who the actually people who are, are living here. here. Exactly. Yeah, and we and we fill in the gaps because actually they take more from the system than they put in because they bring yeah. dependence. 40% yeah. of, of the 1.2 million people we've seen over the last two years mm. coming to this country are dependents. Sure. They rely on our healthcare system, education, yeah. infrastructure, all of that. It's not the solution and we're failing young people by not yeah. addressing yes. it. Yes, exactly. Individual people, achievement yeah. is what you should be looking yeah, people for. People need a sense of Parents purpose. Parents need right. to tell their kids how to live how to be and how to get on in life. Absolutely. Yeah. The bike uh, I know that not everybody has decent parents to do that, yeah. Yeah. but, you know, that's the future. Sure. You need the, bike, to the, the bike that you save up for is the one that you value yeah. rather than just getting it all that you have. Don't buy a bike, whatever I, you do. I do oh, think, no. I do no. think <laughs> the system needs an overhaul, though.
I mean, let's talk about, before we go to the break, yes. respect the menopause or be sued for disability discrimination. Um, I'm assuming all of you are far too young to go anywhere near a menopause. Well, Although some say women, that. Some, <laughs> some women, how you identify. Some, women, exactly. <laughs> some men, of course, are affected by yes. the menopause as well. Um, the menopause. Um, Andropause. Yes. I mean, I think this is all getting a bit silly now. I mean, I expect is it? it's fine to say that some women struggle with certain health things that men don't. Men yeah. also struggle with certain health things. Again, Where you know, you deal with the line? it. Where, can you, do, would you say, regard having periods or endometriosis as a disability? I'd be absolutely no. laughed out the door no, by I don't my think employer so. if I said that. No, of and also, not. The you know, but I think, it's, it's, I, but I think the point is, is that you know, to be uh, sued for, say, firing somebody because they're, they're, they've got the menopause, you could already sue them for that. What? You know, there's already rules in place for that. If you're this, wrongfully this, um... dismissed because they don't like the way that you're always off sick. You can get compensation for that, but this 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 guidance is flawed, right? Because the reasonable adjustment um, legislation that that's that's been set out is, is for disabled people, right? Menopause is not a disability; it's a natural biological function as part of being a woman, mm. just like periods. Yeah. I mean, we obviously said that. And the, being the, pregnant. Well, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, see, the the wider implications is, is employers are just not going to employ women younger because they yeah. might go off and have kids, or older because they might get sued for not. But that doesn't happen, does it? Women having hot flushes. I mean, right? it's never been a better time to be a woman in the workplace, as far as I can see. Well, I think that's right. But Isn't that right? I, I think the problem is the it label. It certainly used to be a lot yeah. worse, I can tell it, you that. It definitely used to be a lot worse, but I think the issue with the menopause is there has been a lot of menopause discrimination in, in, in certain workplaces. So I, I think, think there's maybe more discrimination against older women. Yeah. It's not necessarily yeah. anything it's to do with the menopause. But, but I think, it's the, effect, I think it's the effect on, on, yeah. on women. Some women get more affected and therefore, I think labelling it as a disability, it, 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 it makes it sound yeah, right. weird. Because Everybody, as, as, yeah. Exactly. It's technically in that group because all women go through it and men go through a menopause. Yeah. We need to look at the effect it has on the individual right. and make sure there's protection in place for those individuals who need it. And if yeah. you can't do a job because you can't remember anything, you know, you're not much used to the people you're working for. So I'm sorry. I don't know what you expect people to do. But then pregnancy also causes a similar brain fog and you, you can't fire someone for being pregnant. Yeah, but I've you known know, loads of pregnant women and they weren't that stupid or, you know, forgetful or anything. I mean, they were pretty normal, Not you necessarily, know. no. Well, not necessarily, well, I mean, no, because everybody's different. But I, I, you don't I, need to make a law to protect people for something that hasn't happened yet. I don't, I don't think, think you it's, should it's call a double, it something a, a disability sword. that isn't. No, I, I don't. It's a double-edged sword because the more, the more burdens you place on employers, I know we don't yeah. want to say it, but if I was an employer, I just want to hire women because this is nonsense. That's the result. That will be the end result. Yeah, because the reasonable adjustment... Um, uh, legislation is for people with disabilities to encourage them into the workforce. And the, the key word is reasonable. Yeah. So it might be reasonable within a, a business's resources to, to put in a wheelchair ramp, for instance. But it might not be reasonable to ask them for a lift because it, it could yes. it could disproportionately affect the, the amount of resources that they have to even, yeah. to even invest in their own staff. That's fine. It's unreasonable to try and treat menopause like a disability and then allow or give women the impression that you can sue your boss for yeah. not allowing you, you to know who I blame one for day this? a week bloody lawyers again you know because all you get <laughs> is people trying to construct remedies for things that haven't happened yet yeah. well, the, you know again you know deal with things on a rational basis yes be responsible. As they can't. You know, treat and everybody the same. People, look after difficult. people who need to be looked it's after. It's not difficult. Point. Yeah, yeah, but if you're an employer, you're not there to look after people. You're there to give people a job, Wait. pay them at the end of it, they go off and live yeah, their if life. If you want them to do the job to their optimum level, then you should treat them well. You I should treat them well. I think anyone yeah. who's an employer should, yes. would, and would do that. But yes. if you don't want to treat them well, that's your business and they can sue you. You know, the point is, is that, um, there is no employer that has to do the right thing every single minute of every single day. Some, sometimes you have to shout at people. Sometimes you have to tell people they didn't do it very well. You can't just go, oh, I'm really sorry, I don't want to offend you, but actually what you just did was crap. You know, 
There's different ways of saying yeah, it, yes. but you have to be able to say it. Good. There needs right. to be a meritocracy. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want somebody going, you can't say that to me because I've got brain fog because I've got the menopause. Sure. Yeah. No. But yeah. Un un unless there's genuine circumstance, it goes back to the point about is it an abuse of the system? Right. And like, my point is you can't, you can't sort of copper bottom everything. You no, can't no. cover everything in cotton wool and hope that you'll never have a bad it, situation. Because the, you're right. Because it's life. The knock-on effect, if, if, if industry disappears because it's not high enough quality, it's going to have a knock-on effect for the whole society. Exactly. That's what you need to look at. Exactly. Issue with this, just quickly, is that I feel women have been discriminated enough against in the workplace, and legislation like this is only going to cause people to discriminate against them more. You want to try and be a middle-aged white man, see how this well, goes. Especially in the media. Huh? Yeah, absolutely right. You know, <laughs> we have a minority at all. Now, absolutely right. Now, coming up, Plank of the Week returns tomorrow night from 7 p.m. Here's a flavour of what you can expect. We're going to call this um, Plank of the Sadiq. Here we go. I've not seen the transcripts, uh, but as far as I'm concerned, that sort of language isn't acceptable, and it certainly shouldn't be acceptable in a party like mine uh, that is proud to be both anti-racist but also anti-Semitic. <laughs> Did you catch that? Yeah. Slip of the tongue. Uh, actually said the Labour Party was both anti-racist and anti-Semitic. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously didn't mean to say that, but we're just going to keep playing it. Yeah, that's tomorrow night at 7pm. Right now, though, you're watching the epic Independent Republican Mike Graham. Coming up after the break, why the eco-war to turn our roads green is failing. Plus, we'll be taking a look at some of tomorrow's papers as well. Back in a jiffy. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for this. The world of woke. There's been a triple whammy of bad news for the eco-nutters today. As they continue on their quest to turn everything before them green, it is becoming more and more clear that our obsession with getting rid of the petrol and diesel car is going to come back and bite us on the backside. Consider what is going on in three different parts of the world. First, in the United States, the rollout of driverless cars has been halted by the state of California because they keep crashing, and one has even been set on fire by angry commuters because they're responsible for causing so much chaos. Waymo, a subsidiary of Google, has been blocked from expanding operations outside of San Francisco, where it operates with a rival called Cruise. A series of accidents with cyclists and pedestrians has created a level of public opposition that is causing even more problems. Protesters have taken to putting traffic cones on the bonnets of these self-driving cars to confuse their self-driving sensors. And one Waymo taxi was set on fire in the city's Chinatown district. Over to Europe now, and residents of the Grunheide Print municipality in Brandenburg have voted to oppose plans by Tesla and Elon Musk to build a new gigafactory in the area. The chief reason, ironically, is environmental. Locals are concerned at plans to bulldoze 250 acres of forest, and they're worried that air quality could suffer and water supplies could be affected. Doesn't sound very green, does it? Musk chose Germany because he thought Britain might be too risky after Brexit. Just shows you how wrong he could be, and now he's reconsidering. But whatever he does, Tesla's still too expensive, and the electric car market in Europe is about to be swamped with cheap vehicles from China. And if you think that's good news, you couldn't be more wrong, because it turns out that European governments have crippled their own industries by ordering an end to production of petrol and diesel vehicles over the next few years. China, which has rather cleverly cornered the market in raw materials needed for building EVs, will be reaping the whirlwind of that mistaken policy at the expense of our own businesses. Let's face it, the avalanche of green jobs we were promised has never materialised, and neither has the massive cut in carbon emissions. 
It was only this month that advertising standards watchdogs warned car manufacturers not to claim electric cars were zero-emission vehicles because they aren't. And instead of sparking a manufacturing renaissance in Europe, say experts, the pursuit of net zero is leading to the imminent deindustrialization of the entire European continent. That means we won't actually have any manufacturing left. So well done, everybody. You've just killed the golden goose. All for a green agenda that is costing us gazillions. And that is the world of work. The world of work. Now, the panel is still here, so if you want a cheap electric car, just wait a few months and the Chinese are going yeah, to be flogging exactly. you. Yeah, exactly. A nice car All that will cheap... set on fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, the lithium batteries that they use are actually highly unstable. I mean, they are. The, the lithium batteries that they try and use to um, to store um, solar power in California literally set on fire yes. like, years ago. They're also yeah. terrible for the environment. They're well, yeah. killing wildlife, killing yeah. birds. No one's talking about the mining that's going using child labor for the mining in, in the DRC. Like, mm. I mean, it's not only not environmentally friendly, it's polluting um, water bodies in South America which the Chinese yeah. are involved in, loads of legal battles there. It's using child labour in, in Central Africa. I, I mean, are these people just... And there needs to be enough power. There needs to be enough power. And there isn't enough electricity. There, isn't the enough, there aren't enough charging points. Yeah. Yeah. And also, the fact that we've apparently had this ridiculous idea of doing away with petrol and diesel cars yes. has kiboshed the entire car industry yeah. in Europe. Yeah. And now China's making all the electric cars and we're not making them. Yeah. Well, they'll, they'll, this is the thing, they will, they will do a U-turn. They have no choice but mm. to do a U-turn because if not, there will be a revolt. And I mean, I think I actually think they're going to probably push back our you know, transition to just electric cars to back to 2040 or 2025. Yeah, yeah. I really do. They're going to need to do exactly. that. Exactly. Now, before we get stuck into the papers, one other story I just wanted to mention, that's this story about nearly half of people, and again, younger people apparently, avoid engaging with strangers because they don't like small talk. It's extraordinary, isn't it? This is a new campaign they have on the tube as well. Well now to, say, right. to, to diffuse the situation, right. ask somebody, oh, do you want a cup of tea? Or where do I get down the Bakerloo line? Or See, normally the signs on the tube tell you not to look at people, well, don't they? Exactly, They're exactly. staring at somebody is a sexual assault now. Where's the new Liberty line to use right. my Freedom Pass? Well, how do I All find a suffragette line? Exactly. <laughs> or a suffragette? I'm trying to get to win. Toe the line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But people don't know how to talk. They don't know how to talk because they're so obsessed with their machines and their little emojis and other yeah. bits and pieces. They have, the more smart the phones get, the less smart But is it an age thing, no small talk, do you think? I think it is. I, mean, I recently saw a video taken at a, an exclusive club in Miami. Mm. You know, people are paying, you know... Probably that exclusive, they took a video. You know, £100 each to get in. Yes. And, you know, instead of dancing, instead of talking, enjoying themselves, they were all just on their phones yeah. videoing each other. It was almost like some dystopian right. nightmare. Yeah. It's like if you go to a concert now, people are just on there filming it's, it. It's yeah. concert, like, just enjoy the concert. Yeah. Well, you I know. think it's even worse with kids because, I, you know, I go to restaurants and I see these kids, like, on, on tablets and iPhones. I'm like, you don't want to talk, engage? And, right. look, they don't I, know how to. Well, they but don't know how to talk. And I'm like, I, on the one hand, I feel sympathy for the parents, but I'm also like... I, I actually don't feel comfortable with a society where people think that, you one, you always have to be active or you always have to have some screen in front of right. you yes. to, to feel like you're doing something, but also that we've devalued social interaction. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. The more means of communication we have, the less we're able to communicate. Yes. And that's always, the problem. I always find it very pleasant if you do talk to somebody on the tube yes. because they're always a bit surprised. Yes. And, you know, Normally, it's quite funny. You know, you yeah. well, need someone interesting. Look, yeah, exactly right. But there is, there has been this kind of, you know, in the wake of, of Sarah Everard and, and yes. other things that have happened, there has been this kind of, you know, warning to yeah. men, don't talk to women, yeah. don't talk to anybody, just keep yourself to yourself. And I think a lot of young men, yeah. um, which I'm obviously not one, are a bit wary. Yeah. You know, they're well, worried I, I that, you know, if they start right. talking to a woman on the tube, she'll start shouting that, you know, they're harassing her. I've sure. heard this from a lot of young males. They say they're very scared to approach women yeah. nowadays. They're scared to even 
tell a woman she looks nice right. or yeah. that dress looks good on you because they're terrified. But of yeah. It's, it's the Samaritans. The Samaritans, actually, who are trying to encourage this. They say that just by talking to somebody, a simple thing like, mm. would you like a cup of tea or something like that, right. could actually stop somebody who's on the brink of suicide. Right. And I think that's really, really important and, and, and powerful. Yeah. But we do need to get the art of talking. I think the art there. conversation is what we should be doing more of. Yeah. Anyway, let's go to the, uh, the, the, the papers. Uh, the front of the eye has got a new Brexit deal on food and cars could be agreed with Labour, <laughs> according to EU officials. I mean, this would be the eye newspaper saying this. <laughs> yeah. uh, senior European sources say a closer trading relationship yeah. could be negotiated. I mean, people always forget that this trading relationship with Europe is not a very big trading relationship <laughs> anyway. You know, the UK trades all over the world. The trade with the EU yes. was quite a small part of it. I, you're absolutely right, Mike, and I think you need to look at that. And when they say, uh, sorry, sorry, senior European sources say vote Labour, I mean, that's effectively what the story says. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, an, that's a Tory endorsement. Yeah, what, what is that? <laughs> well, that's what they're saying. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I, I always found it weird how... how the membership of the EU was held up as a standard. Like the EU, mm, we have right. to do things more like the EU. I'm like, the EU is crumbling. I don't know why. Their economies we're, are all well, down the, the, the thing is, your, your quality of life is, is better in the poorest state in the yes. US. Mm. You have more disposable income in like, I think it's like Mississippi mm. or Alabama yeah. than you do in like France or Germany. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I really don't understand why it's held up as this budget. But, but we want to do deals. We do want to trade. I mean, that's the reality. So no, we don't know why it's going to be better with Labour because they don't elaborate in this story. Other yeah. than, here's the headline, you'll all be better off as a result of it. Right. Uh, it doesn't make sense. We need to dig a bit deeper into it. Yeah. I will say I agree with you on, on one level. But on the other hand, you know, the Brexit means that we had to seek, you know, we had a more open trade agreements. We could seek trade elsewhere with countries like China. Now, we've just said countries like China are using slave labour. They've got a, a lot of money in Africa where they're using cheap manual labour to produce things that we buy. And I don't necessarily think that the trade deals we're making outside of the EU are beneficial in a moral sense. Well, we and not no, but we can actually make them. The EU you know, hasn't made a trade deal with many countries for years and yeah. years and years, yeah. so they can't agree yeah. on and it. And we haven't exploited it well. That because That's why we I mean, talk... I agree on one hand but not, yeah. not the other. Let's talk about Ellie Goulding. Apparently she's got a new boyfriend who's a surf instructor, mate. Oh, she's um, married. And uh, <laughs> she's not wearing a wedding ring. She's been frolicking with hunky Armando Perez uh, in Costa Rica. Um, yeah, her husband uh, apparently is staying at home. He's staying yeah. <laughs> And, and, and he, and he, gets, he gets the sun. He'll be delighted to see that this morning, yeah. won't he? Yeah, yeah Casper, don't, don't get it in the morning. Well, the, and, mean, and he watches the Mike Graham show all the time. Yeah, well, you so never know. He's finding out now. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be rude, but really, she's, she's punching. Um, quite, yeah, she's doing well. Quite she's far a rock star. You know, she's uh, a rock star. I'm, yeah, but the thing is, usually it's easier for men to punch upwards, especially rich men, than for... Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I give you Madonna as an example of... You know, I, I mean, that's employment. Yeah, but she's Madonna. Like she, she employs her. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Everybody needs a surf instructor. I'm sorry, yeah. that's prostitution. You know. yeah, right. I, I feel yeah. Armando, this is the kind of... This is the perfect guy to have a... Uh, holiday a romance. Holiday romance. Yeah. He's just really stereotypical. He's right there, isn't he? Absolutely right. He even has a stereotypical yeah. name, Armando. Yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. It's like, like what, can, it's something you'd read in a Mills yeah, and like, I come home from, from Spain and go, guess what, guys? I met this guy. Let me tell you what Armando did to me oh my yeah, god I do <laughs> well, maybe she'll bring it back who knows I didn't recognise her there though her face does look very different from well, she, to be fair to her she's yeah. just been in the sea so, yes exactly she just no, I mean, she, was, she was never much of a looker but well anyway well, she was stunning Poor how about this uh, uh, financial, financial times <laughs> internal um, <piece. laughs> why did use of special police orders to shut down public process at venues is to be proposed by government commission review you spent so much time talking about Armando that we can't talk about anything else but never mind great to see you all thank you very much indeed uh, that is all from me tonight. You've been watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Thank you very much uh, to all of you guys for making it so much fun. 
I'll see you tomorrow night at 7 p.m. with Plank of the Week only on Talk TV. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.